Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. It's really fun to own an antique quilt, whether you've inherited one or bought one in a store, but you need to treat them a little differently than you would a new quilt. So on today's show, we're sharing how to repair, care for, wash, store, and display your antique quilts. We'll also share tips for working with a long-arm quilter, a quilting book series we're loving right now, and tips for applique. Then we chat with Renee Nanneman. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. So let's dive in. Whether you are a collector of antique quilts, inherited a family heirloom quilt, or came across some vintage orphan blocks at a flea market, you may have some questions about how to care for your fabric treasures. I'm here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, who's going to share her knowledge about how to repair, wash, and store your antique finds. Thanks, Lindsay. I've been collecting antique quilts for about 20 years. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not even really sure how many I have at this point. <laughs> but I do keep a notebook with a picture of each quilt and the price I paid for it. Now, because it's an investment, you also want to know how to take care of the quilts so that the they can last for years to come. Exactly. So a common question people have about antique quilts is whether you can, or even should, wash them. So what do you think about that? Well, I think it's a very personal decision. I've been attending quilt study groups for about 10 years now, and depending on who you talk to, they can have a different opinion. Some people will say to never wash a vintage quilt because you could ruin it. But if you do decide to clean it, here's a few things for you to think about before you get into cleaning a vintage quilt. If it shows some visible signs of soiling or is maybe smelly, you probably do want to give it a good cleaning or at the minimum, air it outside a little bit. Now before you clean it, it's a good idea to repair any open seams or loose applique or if there's a part of the binding that maybe has come unstitched. You can give quilts a gentle bath in a tub uh, using a gentle detergent. Or you can soak your quilt in your washing machine um, for a few hours with something like OxyClean or a special quilt wash. Make sure to include a shout color catcher to catch any dyes that might run or bleed. And because wet quilts can be heavy, um, it's a really good idea to support the quilt's weight with a bed sheet so you can more easily lift it and transport it. Now, when it comes to drying, give it a quick spin in the washer and then lay the quilt flat on a sheet outdoors, making sure that all the weight is supported. Cover the quilt with another sheet to protect it from passing birds and turn the quilt over after several hours. You can leave it out um, unfolded for a few days to ensure that it's dry all the way through. And if necessary, you can fluff it on air dry in the dryer for just a short period of time. Ultimately, I guess my feeling is that it's your quilt, and you get to do with it what you feel is best. All great information, Jody. So I know I personally washed an antique quilt before in the tub using something called RetroClean, which is a soap specifically made for antique quilts, and I really thought it made a difference in the brightness of a quilt. So when people ask me uh, what I recommend, I always say RetroClean. I think it's a great product. So you mentioned that you should make any repairs needed before you wash an antique quilt. So what are some common repairs that people might be making? So something like repairing a rip or a hole or a tear of some kind will help preserve the life of the quilt. 
But there are a few ways to think about how you're going to do that. Um, it's a family quilt or it's one you purchase for your collection. You can repair it with any way that you're comfortable with. Again, it's a personal decision. So this may involve replacing fabrics where the holes or rips are. Uh, you can use modern reproduction fabrics to match the colors to the original quilt. Or you can search for similar vintage fabric scraps for a repair. Now, if you want to preserve the integrity of the quilt, you may choose to be a little more conservative about those changes of repairs that you might undertake. So you can cover disintegrating fabrics with a new fabric, leaving the original in place. You can also use a fine tool to protect the especially worn area. Never ever use a fusible or a glue gun. And do only repairs that can be reversed. So for example, what I mean is if you rebind a quilt, Put the new binding over the original and work it by hand in case there's ever a need to revert it back to the original state. Great ideas. So it sounds like it really depends on how much you want to keep the historical integrity of the quilt intact. Another way to keep your quilts free from further damage is your storage choices. So how should people be storing their antique finds? So antique quilts should be at a comfortable temperature and in an environment um, not hot attic, not a damp basement. And it's a good idea, if you can, to just store quilts that you don't have out. Put them in a dark area that can avoid light damage or fading. Um, don't ever store a quilt in a plastic bag. They need to breathe. The textiles, the cotton needs to breathe. And putting it in a plastic bag is just a really bad idea. You also could use a clean sheet or a pillowcase to store a quilt. Be sure that the fabric itself is not in direct contact with unpainted wood or paper when it's in storage because both wood and paper have acids that eat into fabrics over time. When stored, quilts should be refolded occasionally in different ways to prevent the fabric from breaking along those fold lines. So now that we know how to store the quilts safely, what about displaying them? Anything we need to keep in mind? Well, if you're hanging the quilts, make sure that they're evenly supported across the top edge, like with a rod or a dowel and a sleeve works pretty well. If they're folded or displayed like on a chair or a shelf or a bed, take time to refold the quilts occasionally to prevent a permanent fold line. And if you can, rotate the quilts that you have on display several times a year in and out so you can avoid sun damage. So do people actually use antiques to like keep warm as they would a new quilt, or are antique quilts mostly used for display purposes? Well, again, I guess it's a personal decision. Um, I often change my own mind on this subject. So I can say one thing today, and I might mean something different next week. <laughs> so it is, uh, again, a very personal decision, and it can vary depending on the quilts that you have. So some of the utility quilts that I have, um, I'm comfortable with using those because I know that I can wash them after use, and so I'm okay with using those quilts. But I do have some in my collection that are valuable, and really they're just for display or study purposes only. Thanks so much, Jody. I think buying your first antique quilt is so exciting, but there really is a lot to think about once you get that quilt home. So we really appreciate you sharing all your expertise. And of course, make sure to follow Jody on Instagram at So More Quilts Mom. We'll link to that in the show notes. She posts beautiful photos of all of her antique quilts that we think you'll really enjoy. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. 
On today's interview, Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, chats with Renee Nanneman of Needle Love. Renee is a powerhouse designer in the quilting industry. She's been designing fabric with Andover since 2006. You'll never believe how many fabric collections she's designed. You'll hear that in the interview. She's also an author of the well-known Threads book series, and she's a talented pattern designer. In the interview, Renee talks about her love of vintage fabric and how she makes her own fabric designs come to life with inspiration from old quilts, fabrics, and needlework she's found at antique shops and flea markets. We really hope you enjoy this interview. This is Jody Sanders with American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, and today I'm here with Renee Nanneman of Needle Love. Renee is a fabric designer and pattern designer. Uh, she's had many books that she's published, and today we're going to talk about all of those things. So welcome, Renee. Jody, thanks for inviting me to visit with all of our wonderful quilters. So first off, I want to talk about fabric design. And you've been designing for Andover Fabrics. Um, what was the first year that you had a fabric uh, collection come out? Uh, that would have been uh, about 14 years ago in 2006. And it was called Day Lily Days. Uh, I worked from vintage fabric. Uh, I had found a darling uh, orange crate that was covered with this beautiful vintage uh, fabric. Um, it had been curtain fabric and it caught my eye. I fell in love with it and that's what launched my first group of now 48 collections that I've designed for Andover. Wow that's amazing and you um, talk about how you start with maybe vintage fabrics or sometimes those inspire you. Uh, are there particular countries that you look for for fabrics or is it mainly European countries? Do you have inspiration of specific places? Um, the fabrics that I work from can be called documents. And a document can be a piece of fabric in an antique quilt. I might find um, the back of a quilt sometimes will have an old chintz that is phenomenal. And even though it may be a gorgeous 1800s log cabin quilt, the backing can be just extraordinary. Um, I also and so you have that one piece of fabric that you're using. I think that's an amazing discovery because I think people do think about the front of the quilt and the pieces on the front being the inspiration, but to know that you're also looking at both sides of the quilt, that's, that's really amazing. Well, it's whatever catches my eye, just like it would be with anyone. You know, what do you what do you say see and say, oh wow? And uh, from from that one print that I find, um, I start looking for companion pieces of different scale, um, medium scale, uh, all the way down to tiny little prints, um, just to make a combination that will look great in a quilt. So you have some some balance and a lot of interest and. First you find the prints, and then you think about color. That's great. And I know that you a lot of times will have maybe a big floral or a big paisley. Um, and I'm assuming that's the kind of prints that you're looking for is the start usually. I do love florals, um, geometrics, paisleys. Um, a lot of the times it's amazing that you can still find like old French fabrics. Um, there are uh, people around the country that actually have collected every piece of old fabric they have ever come across. They've traveled in Europe and they bring them to the United States and those are also called documents and those are for sale 
and uh, I love old French fabrics, especially from the 1800s. So when you're talking about these document prints and you're designing fabric, I think I'm correct in saying that you do need to own the piece of fabric if you're designing from it. Is that right? You absolutely do. It needs to be yours. You have to be legitimate. And uh, and what we do is we take that old fabric and we do a scan on a flatbed scanner. And we often have to change the, uh, the scale of the print to be um, in current repeat. Um, standards in the printing industry for fabric. It's all changed, you know, in 100 plus years. So that's an interesting process. You get it scanned into the computer and then you can make your color changes. And are you finding that um, you've had uh, so many collections and have you found that there's been a colorway or a color grouping that's been more popular than others or um, do people just love them all? Well, I'd love to say that I have one certain look, but I love so many different looks and color combinations. Um, I find it fun to change things up. Um, of course, I love reds and blacks and creams, and um, those are colors I've used in a new collection called Riviera Rosé. Um, I just follow my heart and, uh, and follow what colors I think look great together for that particular print and collection. And speaking of Riviera Rosé, we have a quilt in American Patchwork and Quilting February 2020 using that collection. And as Renee mentioned, it's beautiful reds and creams and blacks. And it's just a really beautiful uh, star pattern. And so you'll have to check that out. Um, there's also a print in that collection that has bees in it. And maybe talk a little bit about how that's maybe morphed into another collection. It's actually um, a little French bee. It's about one inch, one and a quarter inch in scale. And it's so charming. It was in an old hexi quilt that I have in my collection. And because the bee and also the little gingham checks and another little floral print in Riviera Rosé, which we call Botany, those prints were so popular, we wanted to reprint them and at the same time we decided oh it'd be great to go ahead and add some other colorways in the bees because there's such good basics to mix into any of your color palettes of any quilt project you might be working on. So talk a little bit about um, you said more colors and the original color collection maybe had blacks and reds and creams and what have you expanded into what other colors? Um, some more neutrals, a neutral bee uh, creams, um, gold, like a wonderful cheddar, that's really hard to find, really gives a sparkle to any quilt, um, uh, a dusty teal, which I love, um, taupey, a taupey gray that is so old looking, um, it's, it's not a charcoal gray, it's a little taupey, has a little bit red cast to it um it's it's gorgeous and it looks rich and very old and i can just see the checks or the gingham that you have being either cut on the bias or straight again and used as a binding that would be really fabulous i think oh it, it just gives an extra little personality to your quilt when you can find a, a check or a plaid um or stripe of course and cut it on the bias 
it, it gives a nice finishing touch to any quilt. Well, we've talked about fabric design a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about um, pattern designing and how you go about that. Do you have any idea how many books that you've self-published or um, patterns that you've done at all? I'm sure it's got to be in the hundreds by now. How, what year did you start publishing? Well, actually, I was in the cross-stitch industry in 1984, and published, uh, self-published a lot of cross-stitch books, 50 or 60 of those. And then I switched into the quilting industry because I'd met so many talented women in the area where I lived in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I decided to ask them if they would all like to contribute a project um, to a, a new concept I had to a, a series of books called Threads Books. And the first one was Woodland Threads then meadow, then autumn, and all the seasonal books started to develop. It was really exciting to see how um, we could give great ideas for making small projects um, to enjoy in your home to decorate with. So you had things like pincushions and pillows and table runners. Um, They weren't necessarily all big quilts, right? You're right. Um, A lot of wool applique um, uh, projects were in these books. Um, wearables. We used to you know, decorate sweatshirts at the time or some cute denim shirt. Um, a lot of table runners. Um, we even did some cute dolls at the time. Um, some of the designs seemed to be primitive, but yet as time has gone on, they have all become like classics. They are truly timeless. Um, when you do a seasonal book, especially fall books, um, Everyone loves fall, so there are pumpkins and and, uh, uh, squirrels and everything you can think of for fall that you love. You know, colored leaves, um, uh, just the richness that you can pull in with color and then theme is is fun. And the thing I've enjoyed about your books over the years with them being kind of a threads category, they've also been able to include things as you see things trending in and out. So things like punch needle, um, making bags maybe. I can remember some of the books also having some great bags like the big carpet bag kind of thing. By You can showcase a beautiful floral by using those. So that's the great thing about your books I think is that you're able to take advantage of whatever you're seeing as a trend in the industry to include in those seasonal books. Exactly. You mentioned punch needle. We even did some crochet. Definitely rug hooking was a big element in in quite a few of the books. Um, If someone was a quilter, but they saw another um, needlework medium, they would be attracted to the book to think, oh, this is simple. I think I can try this. And it just is, they're, they're great for supporting all the needle arts, which we just tend to grow and love more and more. And one of the things that you're also branching out, besides self-publishing, you're also working with uh, Martingale, which is a publisher of books. And you mentioned that you've got an upcoming book. I think it's in May 2020. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. That's great. Um, the new book is called Autumn Bounty. Um, it has um, uh some some designs that have been pre-published in the Threads books and also some new designs, new quilt designs that have never been published before. Um, as an independent publisher, as I worked with different designers, I would 
if I saw something I loved that they'd created, I would buy those designs from them and then try to collect other themes that look good with their work. And sometimes things just didn't quite fit together for that magic of um, all the projects kind of interweaving and looking good. So it doesn't mean they weren't great designs. Of course they were. But um, this is a chance for me to um, give continued life to these. And now they're getting published and it's exciting. Thank you so much. We've really enjoyed talking with you today and appreciate you taking the time to visit with um, us on American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. Thanks, Renee. Thank you, everyone. We loved Jody's conversation with Renee. It's so fascinating to hear her talk about her design process. So we'll link to all of Renee's fabrics, books, and more in the show notes so that you can connect with her. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm here with Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler, for the UFO Challenge, a segment where we address common finishing problems so you can complete your UFOs. Hi, Doris. Hi, Lindsay. Um, Today I want to talk about, I was recently visiting with a friend that has a bunch of quilt tops that she's kind of like collecting in a pile (laughs) that need to be quilted, and it made me think about the UFO Um, challenge because a lot of times that's the point that people get to. They really enjoy the piecing and they maybe don't enjoy the quilting so much or they don't have the time to get it basted and get it started and going. Uh, I have two of those quilts right now waiting to be quilted. (laughs) Yep and I have I have one or two in my my place too but um, another option to consider is taking those tops to get them finished to a long arm quilter. And I take about half of my projects to a long arm quilter because if I didn't, I'd probably get one quilt done <laughs> a year if I was lucky. Um, so if you are thinking of sending your quilts to a long arm quilter for the first time or just to a new to you long armor, um, because they all have their different ways of working, uh, we have some suggestions for you to consider. Um, first of all, you want to ask about their turnaround time, especially if you have a deadline for gifting your quilt. Certain times of the year, such as Christmas and graduation seasons, you're going to want to contact them pretty easy, pretty early because they <laughs> tend to be bu- busier, and the sooner you contact them, the better. Um, then you want to discuss with your quilter what they, how they charge and what they will charge for your pro- project, and make sure that you're aware of what's included in that. Um, thread and batting charges are often on top of the quilting charge, so just so... Um, If everything's open and you understand what you're going into, it's best to ask those questions. And then you want to ask your quilter if they have a preference for how large your back should be. Um, Typically, your back should be six to eight inches wider than your quilt top, but some long armors might have their own preference on that. So it's just a good question to ask. And then if your quilt has any elements such as prairie points, applique, photos printed on fabric, or embroidery, um, discuss with the quilter how those will be handled. And if you have strong opinions about whether or not you want those embellishments quilted over or left unquilted, please make sure you let them know that. So it's a good thing to discuss. If you're unsure of how you would like your project to be quilted, you can ask the quilter for suggestions on design and thread options. They often have really good design suggestions based on quilts that they've done for other customers in the past. Now, when you're ready to pass your backing and your quilt top off to be quilted, you're going to want to give that quilt top one final press to ensure it's ready to be quilted. And as you're pressing, um, just kind of want to check things to clip any loose threads or any excess fabric on the back, such as like dog ears that might show through once it's quilted. And if you see any loose seams, make sure you repair those before you pass it along to the quilter. 
I find those once in a while when I do a paper piece project because when I'm pulling out the paper, it might pull the seam loose. So just look for those little things. And then to keep the seams at the edges from unraveling until it's quilted, um, it's a good idea to stay stitch just a, like a scant quarter inch from the edge. It'll keep those from pulling apart, um, particularly when it's being loaded onto the machine. And uh, you want to tell your quilter of any issues that your quilt top might have. If you have, if you know that your borders are a little wavy or some part won't lay flat, point that out to the quilter ahead of time. Um, some things can quilt out, but not everything <laughs> can be quilted out. So um, discussing those up front will just save a lot of frustration for your quilter and a lot of frustration for you if you're disappointed with the final result. And then give your back a final press as well, making sure you press the seams open on the back. And that's just to prevent one extra <laughs> layer of fabric um, showing through or causing a bump, I should say. And if this is your first time ever hiring a long arm quilter, you don't need to baste your quilt layers together. That's often confusing for some people the first time they take it there. Your machine quilter is going to take the layers and load them separately onto the rollers of his or her machine. So um, they need to be kept separate. So those are just a few tips that we have. And I think you'll have find a good experience. If you've never tried it before, give it a try because sometimes it's just like such a relief to have it back. And sometimes they're super quick. <laughs> and if it's a lot quicker than you can do it, um, it's a good way to get those projects done. Absolutely. And it's a great idea if you are in a quilt guild or you just have other sewing friends to ask who they might use. If they that is have a good idea. Different experiences with the different quilters or if they use different quilters for maybe they have one for custom quilting and one they go to just for all over design. So Ask around. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So. Yep. See, see what they suggest. Um, and if you are not familiar with our UFO challenge, it is a monthly challenge we have to help you finish all of your projects for the year. So if you visit allpeoplequilt.com slash resolution, you can find all the details. Thanks, Doris. Thank you. Now it's time for Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best advice to common quilting struggles. This week, we're sharing some great applique tips from our readers. This first tip comes from Kathleen Salam of Wilmington, Delaware. She says, I have found that the illustrations in children's coloring books make for great applique patterns. The drawings are fairly simple, well-defined, and easy to trace onto freezer paper. Coloring books come in many themes. I use them to make inexpensive patterns for the holidays. Kathy McCoy of Abilene, Texas says, Sometimes it seems impossible to get fusible webs paper backing to come off after it's been ironed onto fabric. Making a small cut across the back of the paper with a straight pin helps me peel off the paper easily. Judy DeWalt of Lincolnshire, Illinois says, I use quite a bit of freezer paper when appliquing. Instead of throwing away small scraps that are still usable, I toss them into a wicker basket I keep under my drafting table. Now those pieces are readily available when I am making templates. Valerie Cassell of Stone Ridge, New York says, When I use fusible web or fusible fleece, I put a piece of parchment paper, available at the grocery store, either over or under the edge as I iron. The paper prevents fusible edges that peek out from sticking to my iron or ironing board. Beth Schnellenberger of Jasper, Indiana says, To get fusible web residue off my iron, I run the warm iron over a fabric softener dryer sheet several times. The fusible residue comes right off. 
Pat Vachek of Houston, Texas says, To avoid overlapping stitches when I machine applique, I pull the bottom thread to the top of the fabric so I can see where I start stitching. As I sew, I hold the bottom thread straight out to the side to prevent tangles and snarls. After I've sewn around the applique shape, I pull the thread to the back and knot it for a secure finish. Those are some great tips for applique. We love hearing these ideas from our readers. So if you're interested in submitting your own tip for a feature either in our magazines or on the podcast, send an email of your tip to apqtips at meredith.com. Now I'm here with what we're loving. So I really want to highlight a book series I just finished. The books are called A Quilting Cozy Book Series. They're by author Carol Dean Jones. There's 10 books and they follow a quilter at the Cunningham Village Retirement Community. Uh, And these quilters also solve mysteries. So each book has an exciting new mystery introduced and they also share really fun scenes from the local quilt shop, quilt shows they travel to, and of course the main character's sewing rooms. The books are so quick and easy to read, and they honestly kept me laughing the whole time. You can really tell that it was written by a quilter because the plots and the jokes are so relevant to quilters, and I found myself relating to the characters. Each book has a quilt shown on the cover that's referenced in the book, like in the plot of the book, and then the book has the pattern offered at the back of the book, so that's kind of fun that you can make the quilt that they're talking about in the book. The books are published by CNT Publishing, and I was so excited to hear that the books did so well that the author is writing more. So the 11th in the series is coming out in May, so there's still plenty of time to catch up in the series if you're interested. It was honestly my guilty pleasure to sit down with these books each night this winter, so I can't wait to continue my journey with the quilters in Cunningham Village in May. So I'll link to the books in the show notes if you want to check them out. 